It's my privilege again to speak to Chris Gilland, one of ATA's uh, very able energy advisors and an independent energy advisor for years. Chris, welcome and thank you for making time for us. Please briefly take us through what led us here. Why are we sitting at stage six with the possibility of even further stages, which will possibly mean the worst load shedding that we've ever had in the history of South Africa? So certainly uh, we've seen stage six load shedding on a Sunday. Now, that is when demand for electricity during the week is the lowest and demand starts picking up on Monday. Uh, and this puts additional pressure on the system. So there is a possibility, Eskim has informed us, that we will continue having stage six load shedding uh, this week, as well as the possibility of it being pushed even higher. How did we get here? Well, there are short, medium and longer term issues that have contributed. In the immediate short term, uh, you know, it was announced on Sunday that there were some trip outs of uh, generating units at Creel and at Kosili Power Station. Uh, and that is nothing out of the ordinary, actually. These things happen kind of randomly. And that pushes push things up from stage four to stage six load shedding. Uh, longer term issues, uh, you know, are the outage at uh, Kuburg Nuclear Power Station of unit number two. It's been down for something like seven months now. It should have only been down for five months. But as a result of some technical problems uh, in the uh, process, it, it, it remains down to this day, seven months later. That's contributing one stage of load shedding to the current bout of load shedding. The other unit that is down uh, for long term is uh, Madupi. Uh, one of the units there uh, experienced a generator explosion as a result of hydrogen uh, igniting. Uh, that's going to be out for a year or two. Uh, that's another 800 megawatts close on another stage of load shedding. Uh, so those then add to the problem. And then lastly, long term, certainly uh, new generation capacity has not come on fast enough. There have been significant delays in the public procurement processes. Uh, Madupi and Kusili, those units that come on are performing poorly, uh, design and um, implementation, um, execution problems uh, that have to be reworked and fixed. So the old plant is getting older. The new plant um, is performing like old plant and the old and, and um, new plant is not coming on fast enough. Uh, so it really uh, points to the need for new generation capacity going forward. I hope that answers the question. Chris, can we talk about things like sabotage, corruption, and who we should be really, really mad at? Uh, because it's understandable that South Africans are very angry at the moment. This is costing us personally. It's costing our economy. But who should we be directing our anger at? My view is that right now, uh, we should be focusing on solutions and action, at least for the time being. That is the immediate focus. Of course, people do need to be held accountable. And for that, we need to look at uh, the kind of corruption that we have seen over the years, mismanagement, uh, poor decisions uh, that have got us uh, to, to where we are. Uh, but right now, uh, I think we need to focus on uh, actions and solutions and let the uh, blame game follow in due course. It doesn't help now to get angry. It helps now to find solutions. But I'm not trying to uh, deflect uh, you know, the need for accountability and for people to be put in orange overalls when necessary. 
Okay, can we talk about solutions and anything that can and should be done at this very moment to help mm. ease the energy crisis? Anything and everything. Well, you've talked about what should be done right now. Uh, by that, you're talking about short-term things to do. Also, the fact that we need to address certain things on a long-term mm. basis, but definitely what can be done now that isn't being done? I think that's the question South Africans will have. Yeah, certainly you're right. There are short, medium and longer-term actions that can and should be taken in the very short term. The quickest wins are what we call demand side management and what we call integrated demand management and demand market participation. And that is something that was announced by ESCOM yesterday. So they're looking to approach the market to find out what generation capacity already exists in industry that could be brought to the grid in short term. There is a cost to this. It will require compensation or payments to these generators for them to generate. But that could bring about a thousand megawatts, which is not insignificant and it can be done relatively quickly. Uh, there are various demand side management issues that really are incentives to help people reduce demand for electricity. It's no good asking people all the time to cut back on electricity usage. It, it works for a while, but after a while people get tired of it. Uh, what you need to put in place is the necessary economic incentives for customers to do this. Uh, so uh, these again are relatively quick measures that could be put in place uh, to encourage uh, energy efficiency uh, and to uh, encourage people to use electricity wisely and sparing and not just domestic users, but also commercial and industrial users. Again, there are costs to these things, but the cost of not having the electricity is very, very much higher. And even the cost of new generation capacity can be higher than some of these incentives. So those things can be done uh, relatively quickly. And uh, one, it really begs the question as to why they are not already being done, because this emergency dates back some time. We've been having load shedding since 2008. The fact that we don't have these kind of measures in place, or not aggressively enough, uh, is a sorry indictment um, of the policy makers, the regulators, the suppliers of electricity such as Eskom and municipalities. But anyway, uh, these are opportunities that are being looked at at the moment. Other short-term initiatives are to not only to allow, that means to put in place the necessary enabling legislation, uh, but remove the regulatory red tape and barriers and to actively firstly allow this to happen in, uh, to encourage it and then to incentivize it through economic incentives. Uh, the, the wide scale uptake of uh, rooftop solar PV on domestic and commercial installations. In other words, bringing thousands of customers uh, to bear, uh, to be part of the solution. Uh, it costs government uh, nothing, actually. It's done at the cost of customers. It helps them um, improve their security of supply and at the same time, it relieves Eskom of a burden that it's currently unable to meet. So the more people and companies and factories and plants and farms, and mines that install uh, self-generation, distributed generation, embedded generation, it means less demand for electricity from the grid and therefore less load shedding uh, for the whole country. So those are the kind of uh, measures that can be taken, I would say, in the next two years. Uh, and, you know, those measures alone could end load shedding.
Okay, Chris, but this week, this month, this year, what can be done? Will it help to declare energy a, a state of emergency so that the president can step in? Can he even step in to make certain things happen quickly? I don't think that a return from the UK uh, by the president is going to do much else except send the necessary signal to the public that government and the leadership, the political leadership, is doing everything possible and taking it seriously. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism that while he is busy in the UK at a funeral, uh, South Africans are facing stage six load shedding. But the reality is it will be little more than a PR signal to the public. Not that it is uh, pointless. Uh, sometimes it is necessary. Uh, to send those kind of signals. But uh, the reality is that the president put in place a so-called electricity crisis committee about a month or so ago when he announced his emergency plan to end load shedding. And really the president himself is not the person as an individual who's going to reduce load shedding, uh, but he needs to put in place the necessary structures, committees and people uh, to oversee and drive this process through that has been done. I'm not sure exactly the level of urgency being demonstrated by this emergency electricity crisis committee and its various work streams, but I do know that they do meet and work on this on a regular basis. In South Africa, we often talk too much instead of implement the actions, but I am told that this is receiving a high priority. Uh, so I don't think there's really much that the president can do that's going to make that much of a difference other than send out the right signals to the people of South Africa. The work is not just done by the president. Uh, in terms of what can we do to reduce the burden of load shedding on ourselves? Well, we can use electricity sparingly. We can go out and buy uh, emergency uh, battery-operated lights to uh, see us through, uh, you know, the inconvenience and the, the you know, even the, the negative economic impact of load shedding. In the next week, probably there's not a lot that can be done because, uh, you know, I went to Builders Warehouse uh, to try and buy some emergency lights uh, and, and also to look at an additional battery an inverter, but they were all sold out because uh, with this kind of load shedding uh, taking place uh, for quite extended periods of time, everybody is rushing now to, to do something. You know, we are all rather reactive in our approach, including me, as opposed to being proactive and seeing the writing on the wall months ago and getting something put in place in preparation uh, for this kind of uh, eventuality. So I would say there's not a lot that can be done in, in the next week other than to use electricity sparingly. It will help Eskom. Eskom have indicated just that, that we should not think that, you know, our own little efforts will not make an effort nationally if we all do this. But ultimately, there's diminishing returns to these kinds of begging for customers to help. Um, actually, you need to incentivize customers so that they get some benefit by helping as well. Okay, my question remains, will it help to declare a state of emergency for energy? You know, there are certain legal issues regarding a state of emergency. It was considered by government, it was considered by the president, uh, and it was decided uh, that they would not invoke a state of emergency. There is a crisis, it is an emergency, 
but declaring a state of emergency has certain legal implications uh, and, and requirements uh, that the government considered should not be taken. I, I think if we, we don't have to declare a state of emergency necessarily in order to treat this as an emergency and take the necessary actions that a crisis and an emergency deserves. Thank you, Chris. I also want to know about the stuff that is contributing to the crisis, the culture of non-payment. We know that there's a 50 billion rand outstanding from municipalities. How does the culture of non-payment for services rendered by ESCOM contribute to this crisis? And stealing electricity, for instance. Yeah, look, theft, non-payment of electricity is a big issue. Similarly, copper theft, aluminium theft, theft of steel, vandalism to infrastructure is a very big issue. It's contributing a lot to the outages that are experienced by people on a regular basis. We tend to think that load shedding uh, you know, is the cause of all electricity outages, uh, and this is very far from being correct. Uh, in fact, the majority of outages experienced by people are, uh, are not caused by Eskom load shedding, but are caused by theft, non-payment, vandalism, as I've mentioned. So problems on the distribution network often result in extended power outages. Uh, I'm giving you some examples that probably the middle class and upper class and higher income uh, earners don't experience. But uh, in lower income areas, uh, there is a significant degree of uh, electricity theft which contributes to very, very extended power outages. Uh, and this is as a result of overloading of the networks, because when you have high levels of theft, um, there's no incentive to, to, to use electricity wisely. A lot of overloading of transformers and networks takes place, it causes damage to equipment and outages. And as a result of all of this, Eskom has introduced uh, what they call a program of load reduction. Now this is simply a euphemism uh, for switching these areas off during periods uh, of higher demand like the mornings and the evenings. It performs two functions. It protects their equipment from overloading and secondly it, it sends a signal to that whole community uh, that there are high levels of theft in the community and that people should be actually looking at theft in their areas and doing something about it. Theft by one person is theft of electricity from your neighbor. And therefore, it's really up to communities to start playing a role in uh, putting pressure on those people within the community that are blatantly stealing electricity uh, through illegal connections. So this load reduction is causing a lot of outages in areas of Soweto, in areas of uh, a whole range of areas across South Africa that are being subjected to load reduction. So certainly theft is having a big impact on continuity of electricity supply, but it's also impacting on Eskom's financial situation and also the financial situation of municipalities. And the same goes for uh, non-payment, I suppose. Exactly. Theft and non-payment are kind of put into one category. Uh, people who do not pay for electricity, you know, are causing uh, significant difficulties for their municipality, who in turn have difficulty then in paying Eskom. There have been some municipalities that are being subjected to this load reduction. 
uh, as a result of municipalities not paying. So uh, it has a knock-on impact that uh, stretches deep into the economy. Let's just also quickly chat about the lack of maintenance to local infrastructure, because I think often we don't come back online at the times that we are supposed to, because municipalities simply do not maintain infrastructure. Maintenance is not only a problem in electricity, but you know, in water, in sanitation, in roads, in hospitals, in schools, you know, in infrastructure of all kinds. And there's a tendency in South Africa and Africa and certain countries of the world to put in equipment and then to just run it into the ground uh, and only think about maintenance when it's broken. We have to change this. Uh, people who uh, you know are responsible for public infrastructure like uh, Eskom and municipalities should be regarded as custodians of public uh, infrastructure, of public assets, and they should be held strictly accountable for looking after those assets uh, very, very carefully. And if you want to get the life out of any P any sort of asset like this, uh, you need to maintain it all through its life. It's no different to buying a new car. If you buy and own your own car, if you look after it and service it properly according to the book every time, uh, you can get a lot of life out of that car. A lot for many, many years and hundreds of thousands of kilometers. But if you don't look after it, you don't service it, you don't maintain it, the guarantee becomes null and void. And eventually you will start experiencing breakdowns uh, at a high level and uh, the life of that car and its value uh, when you try and resell it is dramatically reduced if you don't service it properly and keep proper records of your servicing. So it's no different from all forms of infrastructure. And you're right. A lot of the problems we see, uh, you know, that we experience as people are a result of poorly maintained generators transmission equipment, distribution equipment, both at ESKIM and at municipal level. Um, and we shouldn't just think that this is about generation capacity shortages. There is a generation capacity shortage. We do need new generation capacity. But half of the problem is because the existing generation fleet is not available, number one, and number two, because the distribution uh, networks are neglected by municipalities who have used money that should be intended for maintenance for other purposes. There's been lots of talk and pushing for unbundling of ESCOM. Why will that help and how's that process coming along? Now look, ESCOM comprises three main activities, generation, transmission and distribution. One of the problems is that two of those business activities are really toxic businesses and, and that is the generation business and the distribution business. Eskom has one relatively good business, and that is the transmission business, uh, which is performing pretty well. It doesn't employ a lot of staff, and it doesn't use a lot of capital resources. So generation involves the production of electricity. Transmission uh, involves the uh, transmission of the electricity produced by the generators across the network, across an entire national network to supply electricity to remote corners of South Africa. And distribution is taking that electricity and delivering it over the last mile to the customer itself. So transmission is the backbone of electricity, uh, taking electricity from the point of generation 
to the points of larger consumption. So the transmission business is a good business. It's a critical business. Um, it, 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 it is at the very heart of, of electricity supply industry. The problem is, is that the investment in the transmission business has been neglected over the years as a result of gross overexpenditure in the generation business and poorly performing parts of the distribution business. And uh, because transmission distribution and, 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 and generation are currently lumped together, it means the whole business of Eskom is toxic and it is difficulty in raising the necessary finance to do what is necessary in the transmission grid. However, if you unbundle these three businesses and you create a, a separate transmission business, which is a good business, it will be adequately uh, capitalized and uh, resourced and is performing sufficiently to enable it to uh, raise the investments on its own, on its own balance sheet. But because it is lumped together with these other toxic businesses, it is unable to raise capital on its own balance sheet because, in fact, it doesn't really have its own balance sheet. It's, uh, the moment it is a department within Eskom, it's not a separate business entity or legal entity, but that's likely to change. It's one of the rationales for, for unbundling Eskom is to create an independent, financially viable transmission grid company and then the next step is to unbundle Eskom generation to create a diversified competitive generation sector now that's only possible through the unbundling of Eskom generation uh, from transmission and distribution and then further unbundling of Eskom generation itself uh, and finally we have to do something about the, the distribution sector of South Africa which comprises both Eskom and municipal distributors all of which are performing very, very poorly indeed. And so there needs to be a restructuring of the electricity distribution industry in South Africa. And part of what is necessary is the separation of distribution from Eskom uh, so that you can deal with the electricity uh, distribution industry as a whole. That means the Eskom distributors as well as the municipal distributors. Uh, it's generally felt that these should be rationalized into a smaller number of financially viable regional electricity distributors, uh, but the details of this still have to be uh, resolved. But the bottom line is that Eskom is currently unsustainable. It is not financially viable as a, as a whole, generation, transmission and distribution as a whole. It is not operationally sustainable, as we can see from the current uh, set of load shedding at stage six. And finally, it's not environmentally sustainable. So something has to be done. You cannot just leave it as it is. You have to actually resolve the problem, the fundamental problem. It's not good enough just throwing money at the problem through government bailouts year after year. That will just continue unless you deal with the underlying issues that are causing the problem. Chris, one last question, and that is because these facts are thrown around on the internet. How overstaffed is ESCOM really? And has something been done to address that? I think it's generally accepted that by uh, various international benchmarks, ESCOM is overstaffed. The question is by how much it is overstaffed, and there's some disagreement about that. But there's no disagreement, in my view, about the fact that ESCOM is, in fact, currently overstaffed. The problem is that ESCOM is a state-owned entity, and it's seen as some kind of a social service. Just like in the old government, uh, the railways 
were seen as some kind of a social service and a place where people have protected employment. I mean, the president has indicated earlier that there will be no retrenchments at Eskom. That means Eskom is not being treated uh, like a business, it's being treated as a form of protected employment. But what uh, has been happening over the years, Eskom is reducing its staff numbers. I think it was at 46,000 at its peak, and it's been reduced to about 40,000, and it's being reduced further still through natural attrition and through voluntary retrenchment packages, as opposed to forced retrenchment. So yes, there has been progress in this regard, uh, not as fast as it could be, uh, but uh, one has to bear in mind the political realities of a state-owned enterprise, uh, you know, in terms of the current high unemployment rates in South Africa, and the fact that Eskom is highly socialized and performs a high social function. Thank you, Chris Yelland. Chris Yelland is from EE Business and he's also an outer energy consultant. I'm Ilse Salzvedel, presenter of Outer Insights. If you like Outer's work, please consider donating to them. To do that, simply click on outer.co.za and click on the Join Now button. And if you found the podcast insightful, please share it with your friends.